commentary, technology, preparedness, and pop culture. From Nashville, Tennessee, the home of Jack Daniels. I'm Jess, the straight Christian conservative one. And I'm Chris, a gay Buddhist libertarian. We will explore today's issues with opposing viewpoints. And feature guests with incredible or unique stories. We may see things differently. But in the end, this is Still still Love love You, Bro. It hasn't been Still Love You, Bro, for... A few weeks, it's hasn't been, it? It's been, I still miss you, bro. <laughs> that, that was a good take for y'all doing that for the first time in a hot minute. I know. I had to, uh, I had to like review the words because every once in a while, if I don't do it on a weekly basis, I start to lose, like, I don't even know what it says. And then I look at like the first word and it comes back to me pretty quickly. Um, well, hello there, Chris. I'm, I'm back behind the mic and I'm still alive. Yes, Thankfully. you had quite the adventure. A little bit of a COVID adventure, yeah. Yes. So I actually, I I've, I believe that I have had COVID for, I'm not sure if it's the first time, but it's definitely the worst time. Um, yeah, me and, me and Chloe got it. She got it just before I did, and I was out of town, and then I came back and quickly contracted it. And um, yeah, we just kind of suffered for about a week and then I went back to work after I was clear but I still had symptoms for pretty much until uh probably yesterday I'd say. I so. I understand that that some of these symptoms even though you could be without, you know, covid like mm-hmm. the cough and fatigue and stuff like yep. that is real. And and that's the weird thing is I really I did not expect the fatigue to be as bad as it was. I remember you know she got she got it before me. So her symptoms got worse before mine did. So I was kind of having the feeling like, man, I can probably just ride this out with uh, <laughs> like with some, with with some sinuses and a little bit of cough. And no, there was there was a couple of days where um, if I got up too quickly, I would feel lightheaded. I would feel like I was about to fall. Um, and sometimes if I did a lot, like I, I was at home, I couldn't go to work. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get some stuff around the house done. And uh, unfortunately, that that can lead to severe fatigue after you, you know, go outside and work on something and then come back inside and work on something. And I've been walking around maybe a thousand steps and I started to feel it. And I was like, I, I can't keep doing this or I'm going to have to, I'm going to pass out on the floor. Uh, so I hear that a lot. People say, you know, when they get COVID and they get the, um, that fatigue and so they're home for a week, they feel so lazy and so useless because they, you know, you get up and try to do something you can't. And they're like, I just, you know, I feel so useless. I'm mm-hmm. like, come on, you had, you know, you had fatigue, but that's got to suck knowing that you, you know, if you want to like go wash the dishes, you have to do it in, in steps, right? For me, that only lasted a couple days, but um, that's good. there was the, the long symptoms was just constant drainage, just absolutely constant, nonstop sinus drainage and it wasn't like an infection it wasn't any anything like um uh that would make me think that i've got uh some sort of allergy symptoms it was just clear just constant it's the hose and it was and it was yeah exactly and it was getting in my in my chest if i didn't cough it up and so usually what would happen is like at night i'm not coughing so it's it builds up and then in the morning i feel like it's just full in my lungs and i've got to spend time to get it out and you know it was it was nasty. Oh, it's and, crazy. And, I, and if I stopped and if I I was taking some uh, some medication, uh, Mucinex or something like that. If I missed that once, um, then I uh, I would pay for it very dearly. It would immediately get bad. That's crazy. What I find fascinating too is that a lot of people don't know, and I don't know if I've ever had COVID. 
So I've done um, one of the um, tests where it tells you if you mm-hmm. have the antibodies, and I did, but I've also been vaccinated. So the doctor said, well, that could be the vaccine, that could be mm-hmm. COVID. So I really now don't have any way of knowing because if I've had COVID, like a lot of people, you have no idea. And then, you know, some people that have gotten it a second time, you know, it's worse. So you're right. Like you said earlier, you, you could have had it and not known, but you definitely knew this time. Yeah. Um, that That's just, that's insane. But what else is insane is the, the symptoms you described as an allergy sufferer in Tennessee, I understand that drainage. Mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, waking up in the morning and I see the Mucinex commercial every time, like there's a little green guy mm-hmm. in there, like yep. get me out. Yep. Because as a, as an allergy sufferer, that is what we live with. And there's so many viruses and bugs that cause that. You don't know now, is it COVID or is it a, you know, a, some allergy bug? That's got to be rough. Over the years, my allergies have gotten better. I, when I was a kid, they were really bad. In fact, to the point where one of the, uh, uh, motivations for my parents wanting to move the first time was to get away from large amounts of trees just because my allergies were, were horrible and I had asthma and all kinds of other things like that. Um, as I've gotten older, I haven't had as many of those or that can be just relieved by taking, you know, a single Benadryl or Mucinex. I don't even take it in a regular basis. But this, I was forced to be on a regime of medication. Um, we got, um, we went we went to the doctor and we got... Um, Oh, what is it? Ivermectin. Okay. And we uh, we took Mucinex, and Chloe took some vitamins, and I took took them occasionally, and and yeah, I you know we made it out alive, <laughs> I suppose. So you so. know, I'm going to ask next, and I know our, our listeners, if you follow the show, you know we have two different opinions, but I'm I'm just going to ask this in your opinion now. You know, do you think that had you been vaccinated, it would have been different? It would have been less. Oh, I have no doubt that it would have been less as far as symptoms. Um, does that make me wish I would have gotten it? Uh, I really, I really couldn't say. And it wasn't, I, I, I it wasn't, wasn't for me. That. I know, but, but I, I think that was the lead, though, because uh, that's what a lot of people say. Like I, you know, it, I, I remember uh, my dad's cousin. Um, he got. Uh, he was. He's very anti-vax. Still is. Um, but when he had COVID, him and his wife both had it. When when they had it. Uh, he actually said that uh, to my dad, and this is rare, he said, I really wish I would have gotten the vaccine. Like, because they had it hor- bad. They were, they felt like they were going to die. And now that he's out of it, he's reverted to his, you know, not wanting to be vaccinated just because sure. kind of thing. Um, but, you know, for me, it was, you know, and this is not saying anything to, to downplay anyone's symptoms of COVID, but for me, it was like I had the, a really bad case of the flu. And, because I remember having the flu as a kid, and I haven't had it in a very long time. I feel like this is basic for me. The my symptoms I had, I could equate to the flu. Now the difference was the the fatigue, and the long, long uh, chest congestion. Like that just happened uh, for for. I mean, I think I just got over the chest congestion uh, yesterday. I didn't wake up with chest congestion this morning. Wow. So that's the major differences. But um, you know, I. I, I think my immune system was able to fight it off, and then obviously we got the ivermectin. I think that shortened our um, our symptoms a little bit. But to be completely honest with you, I have no idea if the ivermectin actually did anything or not. All I know is I was told to take it, and I took it, and, and I got better. <laughs> Dude, so. that's the first rule of marriage. You say yes, dear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I don't know. Um, that that was what I was taking. I was like, I actually wonder if this is doing anything at all. Um, but, but probably, though, when you're in the middle of that, you're thinking, well, I'll try anything. I mean, if yeah. you, maybe your mind's like, you know, whatever. I mean, I'll try it. My wife like, hands me, here. you know, box of pills. Okay. 
Here you go. Just take That's this. Crazy. She says, "This is this. This is this." Okay, fine. So, well, you know what? Glad you're back, though. Glad, uh, glad you're on this side of it. Glad you're back in here with us. I agree. Glad um, you're able to podcast without coughing. Yeah, exactly. That was my biggest concern because you know I, I could have probably come on f- like fatigue wise last week, but I would have been you know breaking the cough and. And we would have had several cuts to just let me get through my coffee fit. I'm sure no, no one likes, you know, would like to be in the person in the same room with a person who's just, you know, hacking their brains out all, all day. So, oh, I'm a germaphobe. You yeah, know, I wouldn't have wanted yeah, to. I no, appreciate that. Not, so, <laughs> even though you're over it, I'm like, oh god, mm-hmm, I'm glad so. you're back. I know our listeners are glad to have you back. Um, it sucked like being by myself in a podcast. It was really weird because first I had to do an intro designed for two people. And a, and and a podcast that's about two separate people having separate opinions and yeah. it's just you. And I, so. But, you know, Joel was, um, he was a good guest. I've, um, he's very knowledgeable. So I wish you could have been there for that technology, but he's going to come back and, uh, and we'll I, talk I, about I like, some more. I would have loved to have been there. Was, did Chloe just fill in for me? Did she come and sit in my seat and kind of? No, it was just yeah. Chris and Joel. No, just yeah. Chris and Joel. I don't know. Why couldn't I make it? There was something weird. I don't know. Who knows? So let's talk about oh, our Oh, it was unique... my birthday. Oh, yeah. That's what happened. Happy oh, birthday. Yeah. By the way, I turned 18 while you were gone. Oh, yes, congrats. listeners. Grand is now 18. Now legal. We all missed his birthday. Ladies. Now they can smack me upside the head and it ain't child abuse. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess that's a good excuse not to come podcasting on your 18th birthday. I suppose so. It's one of my better excuses I've had, I suppose. Sure. So let's talk about unique guests. Uh this this next guest, this is a really unique story in as much as, um, you know, we've we've had jobs for a long time in our lives. And have you ever had that feeling that there's something else that you want to do or, or there's something else you've loved, but you never get to express that? Um, and then one day you wake up and say, I'm going to do it. And, and our, our next guest who's here in the studio with us really embodies that. So uh, we're going to welcome John Clayton Hale to the show. John, how are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you guys? Oh, doing great. Mm-hmm. Doing a lot better now that we're, we're both <laughs> right. here. Peachy. So. Better now than we were, yeah. Um, so just give us a quick background. We talked a lot before the show, so you know, but I want our listeners to understand um, why this is fascinating. Um, generally speaking, what do you do and what have you done for years uh, for a job? And then we'll talk about what you do now. Well, I have been in IT for about 25 years and healthcare IT for about 20 and uh, I'm an interface analyst, and I make sure that electronic medical records can pass between systems. And I've been doing that piece of it for about 13 or 14 years. And so um, I, I've been in technology for a couple of decades now. And so for our listeners who are now like, oh, my God, another technology show, don't worry. <laughs> it gets better. And for our listeners who are in technology, um, you're going to appreciate this. So um, technology is not, I guess, your your big background. You worked in journalism out of school. Uh, you've, you've written for a paper and you've, uh, you've just kind of been a writer, right? It's That's right. kind of not, uh, uh, not in the technical world, but it's just a passion that you've had, right? That's right. I've had this passion most of my, all my adult life. And, um, coming out of college, I wrote for the local newspaper where I'm from and, uh, I loved it. And so I did that for some years and, uh, finally decided that, you know, even though that was my love and my passion, that I needed a career change. And so I, I made the jump to IT and have been doing that ever since. But I never left the, the passion for writing and, and that stuff. 
I think a creative passion like stays in there, like which is the whole reason mm-hmm. I do this because when I when I came out of of high school and I worked in television production, then went to technology, something in there that that you know whole creation and the artistic part, I think it's just something that never dies. So so basically, and, and the reason we're talking about this today is, um, John, you woke up one day and said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna write a novel and I'm gonna have it published, and right. and you did that. That's right. It's a novella, which is a shorter novel or shorter book. But yes, I I had been writing on it for some years, and I just decided one day that it was time to make this dream come true. And so I took the step to do it on my own, and so I did it. Now, let's talk about that. First off, I'm going to say, if if anybody's ever um, paid attention to some of the things I say on the show, you'll know that I love reading, but I have a problem where if I start, I can't stop. And many times when, when I found, find something I like to read, I will, I will come home and I will start. And, um, you know, the next morning when the sun's coming up, my, uh, my better half is coming in saying, have you not been to bed yet? And, and no, I, I haven't put it down. So I love the size of this number one because I can consume it, you know, in an evening because that's my problem. I, I find I don't own a single bookmark. I can't stop a story when I'm, when I'm getting that. So I, this is definitely a perfect size, but so you know, you're working, you're working in IT for a long time. You've had this passion and you said, I'm just going to do it. How did that feel to finally accomplish something, number one, that you've wanted to do for so long? And then you're basically putting yourself out there. You've stepped out on, you know, a a patio and said, hello world, right? So how does that feel in that process? I got the hello world joke. I like that. So, (laughs) uh, it was scary to be honest with you. Um, I had just been writing in, uh, for a long time and didn't know whether it was ever going to go anywhere. And then, like you said, one day I just decided I was going to publish it. And it, when I did it, it felt amazing. There was this, it was a huge relief also. Um, but it felt amazing to finally get something done and put in front of me. My dream was always to see the actual physical book in front of me. And when I saw it, that was my dream come true. You know, um, just one of the things that we were talking a little bit before uh, the podcast, and one of the things you said was, you know, it was it was a re- big relief, but it was also really terrifying to go through the steps and and actually get it out there and wait for you know re- wait for people to read it, re- wait for the reviews, uh, wait for your friends and family's reaction. Um, you know, I, I I think, and I've done a little bit of artistic expression before I it's not writing it's you know it's not um uh, as much production but um it it was uh more related to music and voice <clears throat> I I remember um when you know you're first stepping out on a stage for the first time or uh you know for example uh I was in choir a lot so when we had a new group or we had uh or I moved on to a different school or something like that uh, the first concert was always nerve wracking for everybody, especially the folks that have not been in, in that sort of music long. Um, and until you develop a sense of, you know, yeah, I'm actually good at this. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's, it's terrifying to think, okay, am I actually good at this or do I think I'm good at it? And I'm, and I'm, am, am I about to be put in my place? You know what I mean? So right. that, that's, I can, I can understand that feeling and I could not imagine you know, because uh, I know that you've put, you know, emotion from your own life, uh, experiences from from something that is a part of you personally, 
into this book and putting it out there for people to mull over and read and and then respond as if it's a product. You know, your emotions as a product. That I cannot imagine <laughs> that having it on a shelf. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's extremely personal. Judge. Yeah. Extremely personal. And tell so. us the story you said the night before. Like this was kind of a big moment for you. Do you mind sharing that? Oh, I don't mind at all. Uh the I had published the book uh, it had been published for about two weeks. And I had not really announced it to anyone besides very close family. And so I decided I was going to announce it on Facebook to all my friends and family there. And uh, the night that I, I wrote everything up and before I hit post, I was scared to death. I, w- I got sick to my stomach uh, because, like you said, I'm getting ready to put this out there and... You know, I'm hoping to get good response and good reviews, but you never know what you're going to get. And so, but I'm after I after I hit send, I loved I loved the the fact that I did it, and mm. I don't regret a moment of it. Mm. It's so, a big, you know. I bet that those who actually become published writers, they have a a lot more bravery than those who's you know just write and have it for themselves because. Like I like I said earlier, it is a lot of you. It's it's you going onto those pages, and it takes a ton of bravery to pull the trigger and put that out um, to the public because you're opening yourself up to lots and lots of criticism. You got to be prepared to take it. Um, do we want to talk about the book specifically, Chris? We are, and I, I will say that we are always our biggest critic, and that's I think the the hardest uh, yeah, thing agreed. is you know realizing that you first got to judge it, and it's past you. Now you're going to be judged. You're, you've got you know people that are going to read it and consume it. Then you've got the the reviewers who are going to put it through the microscope. And and we joked earlier, but I, and I hope you get you know rave reviews. And we'll talk about the book. But you really the first negative review you get when you put something out there like that is is typically heartbreaking because you know you've put yourself you put all this work into it, and you know there's oh there's somebody that doesn't like it. But you really haven't made it until you've gotten your first bad review. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Because if, if somebody's hating you for that or somebody doesn't like it, you're doing something right. And uh, I always joke with that. So let's talk about the novella. Uh, it's called Jasmine's Rosary Beads. Um, tell us where the name came from, generally what it's about. Yeah, uh, Jasmine is a character in the book. Uh, it's about three Mexican teenagers who want to come to America and work and provide for their families back home. And it's about that struggle of getting here and the trials and tribulations that they go through to to get to the dream that they want. And so they make it to America and they work for um, a great couple. And, um, and, and they run into people here who are not very welcoming to them. And so, you know, they have a lot of a lot of issues that they have to work through. And that's a big part of what the book is about. So where was this inspired from? Uh, is there any, you know, connection? There's got to be some connection, right? Because you, you typically write about something that's close to you or something you know. So to be honest, it, it happened about 20 years ago. Uh, I was living in Atlanta and I was working for my uncle who was in construction. And this was before I got into IT really or right at that time. And, uh, he had Mexicans that worked for him and I had not, I was kind of sheltered. I had not been around in anybody from, 
another country, really, to be quite honest with you. And so um, I'm going to tell you, I didn't know how I felt about them. You know, sure. not, I just didn't know how I felt. I'm not uh, in any way, um, you know, I don't have feelings any, either way about uh, that. But um, I got to know them. And I saw how they worked, and I saw how they treated their families, and I saw how they, how they, they worked so hard, and they sent all their money back home, and it was just so so endearing to me. And I got to know these people, and they were so wonderful. And I just thought about you know their stories of what they've put themselves through just to have a better life, and so I wanted to write about that. And that's that's where the story really came so from. So is this a story that, uh, you know, you're retelling, or is this kind of a generalization of some of the things that they went through? This is a generalization of some of the things that they might have gone through. Sure. Yeah. It's cool because you never really understand um, people until you understand their culture. And, you know, you may not have grown up biased or anything, but if you've never been around other cultures, it is weird. You do kind of step back and say, well, this is a completely different culture. We talked about on a very early show, um, Aaron— and, you know, his, uh, the, the things that he's been through, you never really know what people have been mm-hmm. through until you sit down and talk to them. So, um, that's cool that you, you know, you started learning their culture. That was like, that was really early. That was a, that was like was episode a several, two or three yeah, something or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We've, we've gotten like two years older since, yeah, I know. <laughs> since that show. <laughs> um, oh man. That's cool though. So, and, and so you, you basically took the, the things that you heard and, and you understood, you, you mean, you took time to understand what's going on with them and and wrote this. So that, that, that's really cool. What advice would you give somebody that's in your same boat? They have a job and, you know, they, they say they want to write, you know, and maybe they want to get published, maybe not. But, you know, what advice would you give somebody that's sitting here thinking, I've, I've really wanted to do this my whole life, but I don't know how or where or when to start? That's a good question. And it's a question that comes up for a lot of writers. Um, my advice would be is to just sit down and do it. Just sit down and write. Uh, whether you do it um, a lot or a little, just do something. And, and, and one day you'll find yourself with a big stack of paper, you know, or, mm. or a lot of pages on a computer. Um, but my advice would be just to sit and do it. And if that's your dream, then don't let anything stop you from, from catching that dream. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, you know, and going back to a previous conversation we had um, in the green room, um, we uh, we were talking, and uh, you said that you you've been writing this story for um, you said over ten years, right? Yeah. Fifteen years, uh, about ten, about ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you said, well, you know, it, it'd be a couple years, and then I pick it up and write for you know three months straight, and then drop it for another couple months. I, I would kind of kind of resonate with me because I'm a person where you know. I'll I'll have like a a stint of like five months where I'm interested in this one thing, and I do all do this one thing for then, and then I eventually move on to being interested in another thing, and I finally got myself in a cycle where I, I kind of move on to different hobbies and do that over and over again. So I certainly understand where you're saying you know your your brain kind of shifts gears for a little while. And then later you pick up that inspiration again. You pick up the feeling of I, I, I know how to write the next chapter. I know where this needs to go and uh, and put it on the paper. You know? That's exactly what happens to me. I go through those phases as yeah. a writer. You know, I go through times when I'm very productive and I go through times where 
I sit and look at the screen and nothing comes out. And that's very frustrating, but you know, that's part of, that's part of writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that is part of the process, the whole writer's block thing that, that I hear a lot of. So I can't imagine, you know, being, especially like almost through the story and then you sit down one day and you're like, I just, you know, I can't, I can't get and, it. Like, and you know, and I haven't done this with, cause I haven't written anything like that, but I have done this with, um, you know, papers or, or, uh, other, other forms of literature that I've been, um, <laughs> obligated to produce for, for my schooling, um, have you ever been to the point where, like, you have to rewrite the beginning? Like, let's say you're on the last page, like you said, and I have to rewrite the same sentence three or four times over and over and over again, five, six, seven, and because and, I can't get it to come out right. I can't put the words on paper that I am thinking, and I just have to keep redoing it and redoing it over and over again. I, I can't imagine doing that for the whole, you know, uh, multi-page uh, novel, you know, that you have, uh, or no- no- novella is what it is, right? So, wow, that's it, a lot, of, a lot of um, endurance, I suppose, is a it good is. way to, to express that. The yeah. and I think people don't really understand what goes into, and and not to turn anybody off because we're talking about you know actually taking that step. But uh, if you're a writer, I think you know. And I'm not a writer; I'm just going off of what I know. But you know, typically people don't just sit down and you know from start to finish. They come up with something. Mm-hmm. Um, we've on on um, on my better half show. We we've interviewed several uh, New York Times authors, and we've asked them, you know, what is this process like? And it shocked me as a non-writer to know um, because in my head, as a as a consumer of these things, that you know, it must be great to sit down and you know, you start and you make up this character and you tell the story, and then you know, the end and yeah. you put it. But the reality is, <clears throat> the you know, they would talk about the process of. Um, you know, they would they would write it and they would send it to the editor and the editor would suggest, she suggest changes and she rewrote this chapter and they went to line edits where, you know, a bunch of other people were looking at it. And when she started explaining this process, I'm like, good grief. It's a lot of, you know, you've put all your thought into this story and you've still, if you have a have an editor come back and say, well, you need to change this or you need to make this better and different, you know, I would feel like you kind of lose you have to really trust the editors, I guess, to to not lose that story that you wanted to provide. Mm. But it is a lot of work in in some situations to actually get to this point where you've got a, a book in hand. It is a lot of work, and uh, I unfortunately don't have an editor to work with, um, so I had to do I had to do it on my own. And hopefully, I did it well enough for, you know, people to like it. Mm. But it is a lot of work because you have to rewrite and you have to rewrite again and you have to draft again. And sometimes chapters don't flow exactly like you want them to. And then you have to throw away, you know, a massive amount of work sometimes to Mm. redo it. So, yeah, it's a lot of work. That's wild. Kind of reminded me, Chris, of, um, you know, both both you and I have worked on film-related projects, um, whether that's short stuff or or live production or anything like that. Um, specifically for uh, productions that use a director and, and a producer and stuff like that, the writer typically isn't informed sometimes when something gets taken out in the middle of a production or, or something gets changed. And yeah. <laughs> so it's we have we have the words on the script and then the director's like, you know what, just do this. Just do <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking when you were talking about those, uh, the authors that you guys interviewed and, and how they have to send their work out to another person and just it gets sent back in another state. And it's like, 
okay, I like this. Am I really going to read word for word everything in here? I'm going to put a little trust. Or they, yeah. or they come back and say this character needs to go. Yeah, I mean, wow. you know, they could have you completely re. So I guess there's a, you know, there's there's a double edged sword of having an editor because you have complete control over how this is going to be perceived. And nobody's going to come back and say, well, you know, I don't like Jasmine. Mm. You should change it, you know, change the name. So you have full control over that. But then that also puts a lot of burden on you, you know, to get it right and get it told, you know, in the proper format, too. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And it's a lot of pressure. I bet. So so I'm going to ask, and I know a little bit about the story because I've seen the overview, but which part of this did you have the hardest time writing? (sighs) Probably the ending. Um. I haven't, it, it's a short, it's a short book. And so, um, I feel like I could have probably taken it a little further, but I was, I was ready to publish it. Um, so I didn't exactly know it, it, at one point how to end it. And so one day it came to me and, and it was the perfect ending, uh, which if you read it, you'll, 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 you'll know. Mm. But, um, that was probably the hardest part. Any, any kind of emotional, uh, difficult parts, uh, and it, you don't have to reveal exactly, you know, the content, but, you know, did you, was there, was there issues or anything that happened that kind of struck you as very difficult to put, put in writing? It has, it has a couple of dark places in it. Cause um, we're talking about a story of, you know, of immigrants here. So you can, you can already build in your head, you know, some of the things that, that could happen. So when you're writing something like that, you're putting somebody's life on paper or on a screen or whatever you write. So there's got to be points where, you know, when you write something that's, you know, maybe not happy, uh, does that affect you when those words come out of your mouth, right? Or those words come out of your fingers? Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a spot in the book where something bad happens to Jasmine and, you know, she has to overcome that. And so that was, that wasn't easy to write. Um, uh, so yeah, to answer your question, it, it was emotional. And I had several emotional bouts getting through the book and, and, and things that happened to them while they were in America. And this is an, a really um, touchy subject to write about, especially right now. And um, I, that, I commend you for doing that. You know, me and Chris and I kind of float on that line every once in a while where we like discussing divisive topics because we want them to be talk, talked about. We want to we want to hear different opinions and different sides and and reach new understanding that way. Um, the the topic of um, immigration uh, from the southern countries into the United States um, that is a very uh, you know almost a quiet issue right now uh, with the the current state of politics. You know I don't know the last time I've I've heard about um, immigrants or or um, folks coming over the the southern border. I can tell mainstream. you the last story I heard was yeah. the um, the immigration guys on horses. Yes, know, whipping yep, the we immigrants. talked about that one. And since yep. then, I haven't had I haven't seen a single news article on on the channels that I'm plugged into. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a single news article on immigration. I have heard some uh, statistics recently, um, and you know I listen to talk radio, so I hear a lot of the no. the conservatives. Yeah, I know, no. right? Um, and uh, I have heard several uh, statistics about. Uh, how there are, you know, a, a right now uh, just constantly records being set for border crossings, and and uh, they have they have bragged about how they're trying to catch more criminals, and they're they're kind of ignoring uh, folks that don't have criminal past, and 
you know, th- think of that what you will, if that's beneficial or not. But uh, I still think it's interesting how we just don't really, mainstream doesn't really think about that stuff anymore, even though it's happening at a higher rate than it ever has, ever before in this country. Um, you know, something I kind of wanted to talk about was typically when, you know, you have a, a conservative or a Republican in, in power, uh, you hear a lot about, a lot of negatives about uh, people immigrating from the southern border. And I, I think it's refreshing to have a story that looks at the plights of those people on a very personal level. Because, yeah. in, in I'll speak for myself, uh, when I was younger and more naive, um, I didn't think of, you know, immigrants from, from uh, those, those across the southern border, right? Typically Hispanic um, heritage immigrants. Um, I didn't think of them as individual people. You know, when I, when I thought of this, of this problem in, in the United States that, that it was presented, you know, I, I thought of these, uh, there's a, there's, there are immigrants and it was always a group and they're always, um, and I was, I like to use this term cause it's all, it's used all the time in politics. There's always dehumanizing talk about them. And, and, uh, it's, I've kind of become numb to hearing that, you know, so it's, it's really, it's really good to hear of someone who is taking a story of these people and at a very personal level and showing what sort of um, terror that can be encountered uh, through that process. But obviously, you know, for what they see is a better life. Uh, uh, one of the points too, I think is that you can be on two different sides of the immigration issue, but these are human beings yep, that absolutely. go through, you know, the same struggles, whether, whether you think they should or should not, you know, immigrate the way they are, regardless of how you feel about the, the administration, these are human beings that, you know, sometimes walk across an entire country on their feet with no shoes for a reason and things happen to them. And so I, I think looking at those individual stories, um, you know, helps really portray that not as, you know, this is just a big caravan. We'll talk about the, yeah. was that big yep. caravan, right? <clears throat> but in that caravan, there were thousands of people who are, are you know, moving across the country on foot, on, you know, whatever they were all on. For a reason. And, and I think yep. understanding that reason and probably understanding the stories that happened to them along the way is kind of essential to really understand why would somebody want to immigrate to America in the first place. And I think it's really important to understand that, you know, you may have a, you know, let's say you're on you're on a more conservative side and you say, yeah, we want secure borders. We want to make everyone immigrates legally. We don't want a bunch of illegal crossings. You need to be careful. And this is just speaking from personal experience be careful about dehumanizing anybody. That is a, and that's, that's a, a thing that can happen uh, where you have a group think of people dehumanizing a whole group of people that can lead to some very dark things. It certainly has in the past. And we don't want, we want to be careful with any talk, no matter what political side you're on, where it dehumanizes this particular group of people. Absolutely. And th- this, and, and, and I'll say it again, this book, I, I love that it explores the human perspective on being in that position of of migrating from a Southern country into the United States illegally. And, and that doesn't matter when you're looking at it from their eyes, because all they see is the, is the, is the uh, journey to get to a place where they're going to be able to work. Cause you know, think about it. We really do take for granted the opportunity in these, in the United States right now, you can get a job making, you know, $15 an hour. And all you need is to fill out an application 
Yep. Uh, and, and then, of course, I don't know um, if there's, I think McDonald's does Social Security and all that stuff like that. But there are plenty of opportunities for those that are not here legally to make probably very good money comparatively to what they make in their other countries. I think, you know, places like Honduras, uh, you know, the, the daily pay is, is in the sense, in the sense. And that's, a, that's a completely, uh, it's so foreign to us. Yeah. And these people are coming here and they're living, although they might not be in optimal conditions, you know, they're willing to go through the hell of, of being smuggled across into the United States just for the hope that they can survive and not be deported and, and stay here for just a little bit to send money back to their family or to thrive here. Um, you know, that's a, that's a thing that's missed by um, the conservative side a lot. And I think we could do better, you know, uh, conservatives or Republicans in general to see more of that opportunity. So, that's the whole point. We can all do better in yeah, some way, shape, or form. Um, John, I've got to ask you too. Uh, we're going to kind of move off the topic of of the of, of immigration because you know, if you listen to the show, Jess and I could sit and talk about it for a while. Yes, um, yes, we could. If you could spend a day with any any author, who would it be and why? Oh, that's an excellent question. I love it. Um, let me tell you who my favorite author is, and then I'll and then I'll go into that. My favorite author is John Steinbeck, and I would absolutely love to spend some time with him. Uh, but I also have another favorite author who's John Grisham and he's alive. And, and because he's alive, I would love to spend some time with him as well. But those are my two favorite authors. And this, I would never, ever try to compare myself to, to any, you know, good author, but I love Steinbeck so much that, um, it, it kind of, this book to me has a Steinbeck feel to it. And so, and, and so anyway, to answer your question, I would love to spend time with either one of those, those people. What, what would you ask Steinbeck? What, what, what do you see you guys doing? Oh, having a drink and having a cigarette together. <laughs> no, awesome. um, just, I would want to know, I would want to get in his brain and, and find out exactly what he, how he, what his writing process is. He's written books on the writing process, but I would like to ask him in person, you know, how he, how he came about writing East of Eden, which is my favorite book in the world. And, you know, where his ideas came from. I bet that's kind of interesting being an author and then writing a book on how to be an author. Yeah. That that's right. A whole nother level of inception right there. Like I couldn't, I'm thinking like, I, I, you know, I, I'm fairly well versed in like technology and like broadcast stuff. But if you came to me and said, write a book on how to do it, I could do it all day, but I don't know if I could like turn around and write an instruction manual for somebody. That's gotta be kind of, I've kind of tried. Um, when I was in college, I, I ended up managing the college radio station. And at the time they really didn't have a staff member that was teaching on how to, keep everything running and I the the sponsor of the radio station the the sponsor told me to write a manual (laughs) for the operations of this this is a full power FM radio station (laughs) and I I tried I tried really hard uh, because there's the problem is and you know if like if you asked were asked to write a manual for IT or for writing you know, you understand there's a lot of prerequisite knowledge that yeah. is 100% essential to do the job. And 
the problem with my brain, I guess, is I start with from the beginning. So one of the first things in the book is how to solder. <laughs> and it's like, and it's you like, have to ha- you have yeah, to build there's that no in, way. Though. If you're going to run a radio station, you got to know how to at least make a cable uh, real quick to fix a problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I started just getting into these, these deep uh, prerequisite things and I never, ever got to finish it in a complete state because there's so much. And I, it's hard to teach something that you've learned. You know, for me, it was just about four years. But, you know, if you've been doing it all your life, how do you, where do you start Where to tell someone how to do it? It's impossible. It's not possible. And I think the, uh, perhaps, and this is in hindsight, focus on, I guess, I guess what I would do differently is I would accept that people are not going to have some prerequisite knowledge and then just leave it up to them to find out. Let you know, them learn it. Tell, on I would have to tell them, hey, you need to learn how to solder and at the beginning of the book. You, know, <laughs> you, need, you need to learn how to do this. There's plenty of resources out there on the internet to teach you how to do these things. I'm only going to teach you how to do these things for this I love Jess's like so. instruction manual. The first six pages, go to YouTube and search for this and, exactly. search, for this and search for this. Exactly. Then go to page 15. Get your amateur radio license. and <laughs> You know what, too, like, I like um, the people I've noticed who always, who will ask about wanting technical documentation are people from the military. Mm-hmm. And, and I know somebody who's listening to the show and, and I'm talking to you <laughs> because when you're in the military, like you get those things. The military can write that process manual because army and, and military manuals have to be um, written in a, in a specific process. And mm-hmm. so um, everybody I know that, you know, has a military background really thrives on having that process documentation of, again, you know, here's a soldering iron and this is how you do it. And, you know, to lead up to, you know, this is how you accomplish the end goal. So the Mm. military guys always love that type manual and the military knows how to write those. Like, but then again, you, you come down to, you know, you've got an instruction manual that's 7,432 pages to tell you how to like turn a hatch on a, on a Humvee. Not just, not just that, you know, the military, everything is standardized. All the equipment, all the, even from the IT equipment, everything is standardized. This is what we use. This is how it works. This is what it looks like. This is what you should do. And if you're trying to write a manual for IT or for any sort of technical process, and it's just how to run something, like the 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 broad spectrum of how do I run this department? <laughs> it's like where do you, you know, Chris? You you understand if you're tra- if you had to transfer. You know, you're in a you're in a high up position in the in the place you work, and if you were to have to teach your replacement by writing everything down, I mean, could you? Is that even possible? No, for you? because so many decisions are you know based off my my senses, my yep. spidey senses, yep. and things that you can't put in a manual. And I have that problem too at work where I need to teach somebody how to do something, and they're like, "Well, put it in a manual." Well, you know, it starts with step one have a background in making some decisions. And yes. I mean, it's, you know, it's just some things are hard Step to put one, in manual. Step one, be me. Um, Step two, fix yeah. it. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to, we're going to wrap up, John. Um, first off, tell everybody again, the name of your novella, um, how to find it, how to find you on the internet, how to, how to order this off Amazon. Um, and, and we hope everybody gets a copy and, and checks this out, but you know, give us all the deets. Yeah. The book is called Jasmine's Rosary Beads. And you can find it on Amazon under that name or under my name, John Clayton Hill. I have a website also that you can uh, look at. It's called www.johnclaytonhill.com. 
And I write a blog on it as well that you can check out. And I would appreciate, you know, checking out my book. Yes, check out this book. Check out the blog. I actually learned a really funny story in there, but um, there, there's going to be great things to come. So check out this book. Uh, John, thank you for, for your time. Thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing this with us. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so much. John. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. This has been a, a great episode of uh, Still Love You, Bro. Absolutely. Jess comes back and um, we learn about a new author. Uh, it's amazing. I, I have I have one of those things I'm not going to talk about on this show, but I have one of those things that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe one day I'll just you know do. Um, Agreed. Yes. Well, listen, thanks for listening. Please check out uh, John's novella on Amazon. Uh, He's John Clayton Hale. The book is Jasmine's Rosary Beads. Yeah. And shoot us an email if you have show topics or you would like to be a guest on the show. It's Chris at StillLoveYabro.com. Jess at StillLoveYabro.com with a Y-A. And Grant doesn't have an email, uh, so just don't worry about him. Yeah. Thanks for joining. If you listen to us on a podcast platform, please review us. If you listen to us on the web uh, or Facebook now, which you may be listening to a podcast, like us and share. We'd appreciate that. Absolutely. And we also have a couple of social media outlets if you'd like to uh, go and visit us there. We have um, we have a couple, right? Don't we? Instagram. Yeah, something like that. And we forget about Instagram. We, we do, or at least we pretend we do. So uh, go check us out on all those platforms and uh, come and listen again. We'd love to have you. Thanks for listening to Still Love You, Bro, and uh, have a good one. Be nice to everybody. Hey, Grant. Hey, Grant. Do your job, please. He's not even here. <laughs> Who's driving this ship? Did he have to leave? Oh. Worst possible time. <laughs> <laughs>